All right. As you'll notice in your bulletin, I'm not up here to continue preaching through the Gospel of John just yet. I wanted to do a standalone message. I wanted for us to be in the book of Psalms or to look in the book of Psalms this morning and specifically to look at one psalm in particular, Psalm 100. So go ahead and turn there. That's going to be our text this morning. Psalm 100. And this is a short psalm, but one I wanted to do in light of it being Thanksgiving weekend. Last Sunday, we had our traditional Thanksgiving service, which was certainly a wonderful time of celebrating the goodness of God and joyously testifying to the abundance of his grace in our lives. We did open mic this year. It went over well. Because again, when you really have time to to think in advance of, of all that you have to be grateful to God for, um, I think you, you have no shortage of things you could say and, and testimony you can give to his goodness. And we do this Thanksgiving service, uh, this special service every year, in anticipation of the national holiday, right? And this holiday is really derived from a long-standing Christian tradition, going all the way back to the time of the American colonies, Both the holiday and our Thanksgiving service leading up to that holiday are special occasions for rendering thanks unto God for his gracious and bountiful provision in our lives and for his undeserved kindness. Of course, we see in scripture that giving thanks to God is one of the most essential components of true God-honoring worship. It is God's will for his people to give thanks to him in all circumstances and for everything. Giving thanks to our God and Father with joy is one of the marks of living in a manner worthy of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it will flow from us as we are giving ourselves to being filled with the knowledge of the Father's will through letting the word of Christ dwell in us richly and yielding to the righteous influence of the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, thanksgiving will abound. In light of it being Thanksgiving weekend and in light of the central place thanksgiving to God is to have in the activity of the church and in the life of every individual Christian, I thought it would be good to preach a sermon this morning focused on this central act of worship. The text of scripture we are looking at is Psalm 100. And when you turn to the psalm, I'm assuming everybody's there now, you will see that it includes a heading, right? It includes a heading that indicates the purpose for which it was written. As it says at the very beginning, it is a psalm for giving thanks. None of the other psalms include this particular heading, a psalm for giving thanks. While we see thanksgiving to God expressed in many of the psalms, only Psalm 100 explicitly indicates that it was written for the occasion of giving thanks. Now, let's be reminded of what exactly a psalm is. The word psalm is actually a transliteration of the Greek word psalmas. See, you already know some Greek, right? Psalm, just say psalmas. That's the Greek word. 
And that word is defined as a song of praise. A song of praise. The verb form of this word means to pluck a stringed instrument, like we do up here. It is this Greek word that appears at the beginning of this psalm in the ancient Greek translation of the Old Testament called the Septuagint. Psalmos is the Greek word that was used to translate the original Hebrew word, and that Hebrew word is mitzmor. Mitzmor. Everybody say mitzmor. Congratulations, now you know some Hebrew. Mitzmor. Mitzmor itself is defined as a song that is accompanied by music. A song that is accompanied by music. So, what we have in Psalm 100, because not all are labeled a mitzmor, but in Psalm 100 is, though. So, what we have in Psalm 100, along with what we actually have in 56 other psalms, that are specifically identified as mitzmor is not merely written poetry. What we have in such a psalm are song lyrics that were intended to be sung with instrumental accompaniment. Not only that, but also, as we see in the text, Psalm 100 was in, with a, written with a particular occasion and purpose in mind. Song lyrics with a particular occasion and purpose in mind. And what was that occasion and purpose? It was giving thanks to God. Giving thanks to God. This is a song for Thanksgiving. See what I did there? That's the title of the sermon, okay? So let's read it. Let's read it. Psalm 100. A song for Thanksgiving. A psalm for giving thanks. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. And his faithfulness to all generations. You may have noticed that this psalm does not actually contain any direct expressions of thanksgiving to God. Rather, it contains exhortations to give thanks to God. Commands to give thanks to God. It's really a call to worship. This psalm was basically an introductory hymn for a thanksgiving service. That is, the service that was conducted in the presence of the Lord at the tabernacle and later the temple, during which Israelites would present their free will fellowship offerings to the Lord and give thanks to him in the midst of the congregation. The Hebrew word for thanksgiving comes from a verb that means to acknowledge, to confess, and to praise. So it's not just thank you, but it is to acknowledge and confess and praise, to give testimony to God for his goodness, for his grace towards you, giving thanks, giving testimony, testimony, acknowledging him. According to one commentator, this form of praise, uh, this thanksgiving, was a public acknowledgement 
what we might call a testimony, except for the fact that it required an elaborate ritual to go with it. Again, we're dealing with ancient Israel. They had the ceremonial uh, aspect of their, their worship. They were called to worship in a certain way. And so they had a, a lot of these rituals that were given to them by God by which they were to worship him accordingly. And he says, it was an offering to God called the sacrifice of thanksgiving with the thanksgiving delivered to the congregation for edification and encouragement. And the congregation was to respond to the invitation to praise the Lord and share the worshiper's joy as well as the meal. Because again, they'd bring a food offering. That was their thanksgiving offering and they would testify to their thanksgiving The greatest opportunity, he says, for worshipers to express their faith in the midst of the congregation was through this public praise. So is someone coming into the presence of the Lord with an offering of thanks, a free will offering, giving testimony to uh, their thanksgiving to God and inviting everyone else to give praise and thanksgiving to him as well, to share in that joyful thanksgiving. So what we have in Psalm 100 is a call to worship that would have been sung by the Levites, who had been appointed to the service of leading music and singing in the presence of the Lord at the tabernacle and later the temple. This song, and again, this is an introductory hymn, this song that they would sing was a summons for those entering into the presence of the Lord with their thank offerings. It was a summons for them to praise the Lord in the midst of the assembly by testifying to the good that he has done and to his goodness altogether. And as we consider this call to worship that was given to the ancient Israelites, we will see its continued relevancy and applicability to the church. The principles of God-honoring worship remain the same for us today. When we read this psalm, the principles remain the same. Some of the details changed, but the principles are the same. The call is the same for us, for the church. Here's the call, beginning in verses 1 through 2. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. As you can see in verse 1, this call to worship extends outward to who? To all the earth. And that is because Yahweh, the Lord, the God of Israel is the creator who made the heavens and the earth and all that is in them. He is the king of all the earth, as it says in Psalm 47. And he is great and greatly to be praised, and he is to be feared above all gods. That is, the gods of the peoples, which are nothing more than worthless idols. It was not God's will that Israel alone would praise him but that people from every tribe and language and people and nation would praise him. Israel, as God's chosen covenanted people, knew that the Lord their God would one day, through their nation, mediate his rule over the entire earth and cause the earth to be filled with the knowledge of his glory as the waters cover the sea. In the meantime, their worship reflected their anticipation of that coming day as they bore witness 
to the holiness and splendor and majesty of their God, the one true God. And they called all the peoples of the earth to worship him. This psalm, therefore, serves a dual purpose. It is a a reminder for the believer, and it is an invitation to the unbeliever. Psalm 100 issues a call for everyone to worship the Lord, to draw near to him, to give him the praise that is due to him. For he alone is God. There is no other besides him. This call going out to all the earth is similar to what the Lord said through the prophet Isaiah. He said, turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is no other. By myself I have sworn from my mouth has gone out in righteousness a word that shall not return to me. Every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear allegiance. So, how are we called to worship in Psalm 100? How are we called to worship? First, we read the following. Make a joyful noise to the Lord. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Behind the phrase, make a joyful noise, is one verb. And the meaning of that verb is to shout. To shout. Literally, the command is to shout to the Lord. This is not just any kind of shouting, but joyful and triumphant shouting. And as we see in verse 2, this shouting unto the Lord is intended to be expressed in the form of singing. And not just any kind of singing, but lively joyful, and loud singing. The underlying Hebrew word there means exultation, rejoicing, jubilant singing. We are to lift up our voices when we sing to the Lord. Raise our voices. We are to shout his praises. That's the command. That's the call. When you go to a concert or a sporting event, or watch one on television, what do you often hear? That's right. You hear shouting, you hear cheering, you hear rejoicing. You hear people lifting up their voices in joyful celebration, don't you? Well, if that is how people naturally respond to a piece of music that they are fond of, or to a game that they like to watch... How much more should that be our response to the living God and creator of all things, who delivers us from trouble, whose mercies towards us are new every morning, and in whom we have life and salvation? One of the main things we do when we come together on Sunday mornings is sing praises in the power and joy of the Holy Spirit with one voice to God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ, his Son. And his son, by the way, whom he appointed the heir of all things. We come together as one people, united by the Spirit, united in the faith to what? Lift up our voices and sing to the King of Kings. That is what we do as a church body 
each week. However, there are some of you who do not do this. You have a habit of coming to our gatherings late. Strolling in at some point in the middle of our singing or even after it. As if the only important part of our service is the sermon during the second half. It's okay, we're going there. It's time. Listen, the entire service is important. The musical portion of our service is, it's not for our amusement. It's not because Thomas likes to play guitar. He likes music and stuff. No, it's not for our amusement. It is not a take-it-or-leave-it activity that depends upon your own personal preferences and musical tastes. It serves to facilitate our singing of praises to God in unison, with joy, as one body. Where's the body when we start? Is the body all here? When you habitually arrive late, I'm talking about the pattern, the habit. When you habitually arrive late, you are not only being inconsiderate of your brothers and sisters in Christ, but more importantly, you are being disrespectful to the king of kings to whom we're singing. The Lord is certainly worthy of your punctuality, is he not? Therefore, To you who have the bad habit of arriving late, set your alarm clocks half an hour earlier. Half an hour earlier than you have been, if you've been setting them at all. In order that you might get yourselves here at least 10 minutes before our service starts. Technically, it's supposed to start at 10.15. I don't start it right at 10.15 because... Nobody's here. Maybe a handful of people. We've got a bad habit that's been developing. Now, I understand that, again, I'm speaking broadly, right? I'm not singling anybody out. If you think I'm looking directly at you, just think that's the spirit convicting you. (laughs) I'm not looking at everybody. But listen, let's be fair. I understand that your neglect to be present on time for the singing of praises to our Lord is it's more likely due to just thoughtlessness and as a result a lack of discipline rather than cold heartedness to, to the Lord, towards the Lord. I was there myself at a previous home church many years ago. Let me tell you, I had excuses for why I was arri- arriving late to the Sunday morning service with my wife. It was both of us, we were both involved. <laughs> But I'm just talking about me right now, as the leader of the home. I had excuses, right, for why I was arriving late to the Sunday morning service. It it was a habit. Uh, But those, they were bad excuses. They're bad excuses. They're lame. It was really a matter of personal choices and priorities. That's what it boiled down to. When the pastor, during his sermon, called attention to the bad habit of tardiness, uh, among some within our fellowship group, it made me more self-aware of my own disobedience. 
and I repented of my lame excuses, my lack of planning, and my lack of prioritizing our Sunday morning gatherings, and I started setting my alarm clock earlier so that I could get to church early each Sunday. So the pastor's general rebuke led me to repentance, and now I'm, I'm paying it forward. I'm paying it forward. Make it your priority to be here on time on Sunday mornings and even to get here early, right? To get here early so that you may be ready to come into the presence of the Lord with joyful singing. Again, early because you still have to get settled. You got to check your kids in or whatever, right? But we want to be right here, ready to go, to begin to get uh, together, to sing praises to the Lord. And by the way, many of you do just that. And, and also, many of you, when you are here, even if you come late, you do lift up your voices as, as we sing together. And your joyful singing causes me to rejoice even more. And I imagine it does for you as well, when you hear everyone around you lifting up their voices in our songs. And why does that cause us to rejoice even more? Well, because God is so good and worthy of such praise, honor, and glory. It's fitting that we, that we hear that. It is proper that we are celebrating him, and we hear that expressed in our raising of our voices and our joyful singing. Joyful singing, not just the singing by itself, but joyful singing that flows from a pure heart that has been transformed by the true gospel is one sign of a healthy, spirit-filled church. It is fitting that we, we offer up the fruit of our lips, our singing, as a sacrifice of praise to our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. One commentator wrote this on the call to praise we find in Psalm 100. Before making ourselves small before him, as we must, we are to greet him with unashamed enthusiasm as our refuge and rescuer. The full-throated cries urged here suggest an acclamation fit for a king who is the savior of his people. Like most of the verbs of this psalm, they are urged upon us as worshipers to make sure that we rise to the occasion, not drifting into his courts preoccupied and apathetic. Now, looking back at our text, in between the call to shout to the Lord and to come into his presence with singing, we see in verse 2 the call to serve the Lord with what? Gladness. To serve the Lord is to worship him by doing the things he has called you to do. It's to honor him as the king of kings by keeping his commandments including those commandments that specify how we ought to worship him in the midst of our corporate gatherings. And what do we call these gatherings? Worship services. We serve the Lord through the public reading and preaching of his word and through our active attentiveness to that reading and preaching and eager submission to it. We serve him through our congregational singing. We serve him through our acts of service to one another in his name. 
whether that is helping with setup, providing childcare, greeting people as they come in, running the sound, you name it. It's all service, ultimately unto the Lord. All of these activities are works of service that are ultimately rendered unto him. Another word for service, by the way, is ministry. Ministry. We are called to do ministry unto the Lord. And how are we called to do it? With gladness. With gladness. And that is with joy. We are to come before him with joyful singing and to continue before him with joyful service. Such singing and service should be accompanied with and indeed should flow out of the following acknowledgement. Verse 3, know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. So to the Israelites, this acknowledgement was a reminder that the Lord, Yahweh, again, when you see Lord all caps, it is a, a pla- it's placed over the proper name of God out of, out of reverence, out of respect to call him Lord, but his, his proper name, his first name is Yahweh. So to the Israelites, this acknowledgement was a reminder that the Lord, Yahweh, is God alone and therefore worthy of glory and honor and praise. This is similar to Moses' exhortation to the people long ago. He said, Know therefore today and lay it in your heart that the Lord, Yahweh, is God. In heaven above and on the earth beneath, there is no other. God not only made the heavens and the earth, but he also made the nation of Israel. Through supernatural intervention, he took one man, Abram, later named Abraham, out from the pagan nations of the world and graciously made that one man into a people and nation specially chosen for his own possession. And as a result, they were uniquely his people and considered to be the sheep of his pasture. Therefore, the call to worship in Psalm 100 included the call for the Israelites to continually acknowledge God's true and rightful place as their creator, their father, their king, and their shepherd. To the Gentiles, the call in verse 3 was a call to acknowledge that Yahweh, the God of Israel, the God who formed them as a people and nation, who entered into a covenant with them, who had preserved them to this day and had not failed in keeping his promises to them, the God of Israel is indeed the one true God. Psalm 100 is an invitation for them. It was an invitation for them to turn to God from idols in order to worship and serve the living and true God, the God of Israel. And the good news, the good news is that the special relationship between God and Israel that we read of in verse 3 has, through Israel's Messiah, been opened up to the Gentiles as well. Through faith, We non-Israelites who were once far off, walking in spiritual darkness, without hope and without God in this world, we have been brought near by the blood of Christ, the Messiah, Israel's Messiah, 
on the basis of Christ's atoning sacrifice for our sins and through his gracious gift of spiritual life, we have become his people along with the Israelites. That is, the Israelites who have believed on him, so that we too are considered the sheep of his pasture. We, believing Gentiles, are the outlying sheep whom Christ has brought into the fold of God. Through Christ, we have access to the Father by means of the Holy Spirit. We worship the Father in spirit and truth wherever we, the church, gather together in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ. And because of Jesus' blood shed for us and because of his continual interceding on behalf of those for whom he died, we who are trusting in him may confidently enter into his presence, the presence of the Father by the Spirit, and draw near to his throne of grace. So what the Israelites did with the tabernacle and the temple, that that representation of heaven on earth, where God dwells, his dwelling place, we do that in faith Because we are in Christ, we do that by the Spirit, even here and now, whenever we gather together. So having such glorious access to the Father granted to us by the Son, how ought we to come before him? How ought we to come before him? With joyful singing, with happy service, with right acknowledgement, and as we see in verse 4, with what? With thanksgiving. Verse 4 says what? Enter his gates With thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. Verses 1 through 2 presented the proper attitude for worship, gladness and joy. Verse 3 presented the proper focus for worship, the Lord who is our God and King and Shepherd. And verse 4 presents the proper content for worship. What is it that we are to be singing loudly with joy? What is it? Thanksgiving and praise to God. Thanksgiving and praise to God. Thanksgiving is basically the joyful expression of gratitude for what God has specifically done. And praise is basically the joyful expression of reverence for who God is. And therefore, in keeping with who he is, this includes reverence towards God for what he does. And what he will do. Now, as I explained earlier, this, in, uh, this psalm was basically an introductory hymn for a Thanksgiving service during which the Israelites, in response to some merciful act of deliverance on God's part, they would present their free will fellowship offerings or their thank offerings to the Lord and they would give thanks to him in the midst of the congregation testifying to the good that he had done and praising him for his goodness altogether. And the point is this, God is publicly honored through public thanksgiving and praise. And as the Lord says in Psalm 50, which was a psalm of Asaph, the one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me. The one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me. In Psalm 107, which speaks of groups of people who experience God's merciful acts of deliverance, 
we see that it was fitting not only for thanksgiving and praise to be expressed in the presence of others, but also for them to be expressed through singing. We read in Psalm 107 the call for these different groups of people who experience the gracious, merciful act of deliverance from God. We see this call to worship or to give thanks. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love for his wondrous works to the children of man, and let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his deeds in songs of joy. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. So we see in verse 4 of Psalm 100 that we are to come into the assembly of the saints in the presence of the Lord, ready to give our thanks and our praise. And then we are to glorify God by giving thanks to him before others and blessing his name. We're to come ready with our thanksgiving and praise, and we're to glorify him then by praising him and giving thanks to him in, in our midst. One preacher made the following comment. He said, expiatory sacrifices, that is the sacrifices for atonement, the toning sacrifices in the Levitical system of worship that God prescribed. Well, those sacrifices are ended because of the once-for-all sacrifice of Christ for atonement, right? So we don't offer sacrifices of that nature anymore. Those are ended. But those sacrifices of gratitude will never be out of date. So long as we are receivers of mercy, we must be givers of thanks. End quote. So you see, one holiday a year, it's a fantastic holiday, but it just is a reminder of what we are to be doing all year, every day. And maybe someone should write, you know, our our boy Tripp and say, hey, we could have another book, devotional, that starts on the first day of November. Oh, come, let us give thanks to him. So, remind me to write a letter to him. (laughs) But right, wouldn't it be fitting? We we have this build-up to this wonderful holiday Christmas where we just commemorate the incarnation, the coming of Christ into the world, the greatest gift of all, and and rightly so. But shouldn't we also have the same kind of build-up and and enthusiasm for this holiday that calls us to, to worship, to give thanks to our God? Just a thought. The Apostle Paul said in Ephesians that when we are filled with the Spirit, we will not only be wholeheartedly singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs together. I mean, that's evidence of being Spirit-filled. But we will also be giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are to give thanks to God and bless his name What does it mean? What does that mean? To bless his name. To bless God's name. How can we as fallen sinful creatures bless the Almighty? How does that work? We know that he has graciously blessed us in so many ways. But how are we to bless him? Surely there's a distinction between God blessing men and men blessing God, right? There is. And here's an explanation of that distinction that I found to be helpful. 
The explanation goes as this. God blesses human beings by speaking well of them, thereby imparting blessing, good things to them. And so they are blessed. Human beings bless God by speaking well of him, attributing blessing, good qualities to him. And so he is blessed. Notice the difference, right? God imparts blessing. We attribute blessing. He says God blesses people by conferring or bestowing good on them. And we bless God by praising the good in him. There's the distinction, right? God's blessing is a bestowal of good upon us. And we our, our blessing of God is a, a praising of him, of him for the good that is in him. It is the good in God that we are grateful for, that we are praising, and that we are singing of and, and rejoicing over when we come together. We're certainly not singing and rejoicing over ourselves, right? The, the, the praise goes to the one who is worthy of all praise, right? It's the goodness of God that we are rejoicing in. And this is what we see reflected in verse 5, which, in conclusion, gives us the reason for all that we are called to do in the first four verses. What does verse 5 say? For the Lord, Yahweh, is good. His steadfast love endures forever. And his faithfulness to all generations. We are called to rejoice before the Lord with singing and with shouts of joy. We are called to serve him with joy. How can we do such things, though, when we are in trying circumstances? How can we do these things when we are burdened or distressed, when we are not feeling joyful? We can do such things because God is greater than our circumstances. We can do such things because True and lasting joy is found in God. Why? For he is good. His love and faithfulness endure forever. He is a sure foundation. He is a true refuge for our weary souls. So when you read the command, come into his presence with singing, shout to him, rejoice, serve him with gladness. It's not calling you to to muster up some kind of fleshly, work of, of happiness to kind of muster up the feeling. It's called you should be anchoring yourself or rooting your thinking, uh, fixing your gaze upon him. Because from him, you will have a reason to rejoice. Because he's greater than your circumstances. He's sovereign over them. He is good. He does not change. He is faithful. So he is a refuge for us. In him, we do find rest. Do we not? We do find life and peace in him. Therefore, each of us who are, tr- who are truly his, we can truly say, though the world is hard, though my flesh is weak, I can rejoice in him. His goodness comforts me. His strength sustains me. And his grace is truly sufficient for me. I believe that. It is true. He will never leave me nor forsake me. Therefore, 
I will serve him with gladness. I will shout praises to him and sing with triumphant joy. Thank you very much every Sunday. I will thank him and bless his name in the midst of the congregation. Psalm 100, a song for giving thanks. We've heard the call to worship, and this is the the kind of worship we're to express to God week in and week out. And think of it this way, that, I mean, you're not... You are, you are coming here to give praise and honor and glory to God in unison with your brothers and sisters in Christ because he is worthy to be celebrated, to be honored as one body. We who are his redeemed ones, those he has saved graciously, to come before him regularly, to not forsake meeting together, to worship him. We are called to do that, and we do it for that reason. But what else do we do when we do uh, come here? Well, we do benefit greatly Because we come and we are reminded of the goodness that is in God. We need to be here. We need to hear from his word. We need to actually have uh, an opportunity to sing with one another. To fix our gaze upon the Lord Jesus Christ. On our heavenly father. By means of the spirit and sing praises unto him. To fix our minds upon him. To get ourselves anchored in him as we continue to live our lives in this fallen and broken world with our own fleshly struggles with sin. We need to fix our gaze upon him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for just calling us to, rightfully calling us to worship you, reminding us of of how you are glorified in our, our worship, in our singing, in our, our attitudes of, of gratitude, of thankfulness towards you, in our service to one another, ultimately unto you, how you are glorified in these things. Help us to, to not take our eyes off of you. Help us to set our minds upon you and upon your goodness, upon your grace, and all that you have in store for us and and. and being reminded of your faithfulness and your sovereignty over all things, and that we truly do have a hope in a future in your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for giving us this reminder that of what kind of worship honors and glorifies you. Joyful, happy service, joyful, happy singing, because you are good, and giving thanks to you publicly as we gather together, giving you praise. Thank you for your faithfulness, Father. We, we are undeserving of your grace and your kindness, and yet you've, you've shown us mercy after mercy and grace upon grace. We are undeserving, but it, it pleased you, Father, to, to show off your goodness by, by pouring it out on, on us, undeserving sinners. Thank you for the gift of salvation. And we just ask, Father, that you would, you would help us to, to honor you Uh, in our singing, honor you in our gatherings, that we would be diligent to be here uh, every week to, as we are able, to be here on time, to come ready with our thanksgiving and with our praise and and to come ready with our joy and gladness because it's not something that we have to find in ourselves or in this world. We can't, ultimately. We find it in you. Help us to come prepared to, to glorify you and to lift up our voices as one voice in unison to sing praises to your name. For you are great and worthy to be praised. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.